0: Uh, We're going to be talking about immorality and, and intimacy today, okay? Please join me in prayer. God, we just ask that right now, when it comes to our understanding of your design for our lives, when it comes to you revealing yourself fully to us and allowing us to be a part of that revelation, God, that you would pinpoint exactly what each of us need to hear, that uh, you would help my words to not be my own today, but to be the ones that you want to present. And then also, God, that you would help each one of us to hear from your spirit what it is that you would have us each hear. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, there's, a, there's a thing uh, about church architecture um, that means something. So some churches you go to, and this is what we have normally had, a pulpit sits right here in the middle. Other churches you go to, there's a pulpit here and a pulpit there with just a table in the middle. That's called split chancel. Um, Those things are not just about beauty or about preference. They actually are supposed to communicate something. The reason in this series we have a split chancel is because the whole point is that when we're pursuing Christ and we look at culture and we realize how much trouble there is, in our lives and the way we think, and we just have a hard time getting ourselves clear, we realize we need communion. We need the blood of Christ in that situation. And the, the altar table is the place where uh, we realize the power of the gospel is represented by a body broken and blood shed. So the center piece is we are looking to his body broken and his blood shed. Uh, for some traditions, that whole thing of the mass or the Eucharist, the the, uh, the elements of communion, have been kind of idolized at times, you know, and so it became the center point. So then the pulpit came back over and they said, we got to use the Word of God to explain this. And, uh, but the, the main point is this. We don't have the ability to just read the Word of God and do exactly what it tells us to do. We're not that good. We're not that strong. The Word of God explains what's perfect. It's to inform us of what life is supposed to look like, and we are to work with everything inside of us to submit ourselves to that but we need the blood of Christ and the body broken in order for transformation to actually take place to change our hearts and to change our culture. We need much more than just our own efforts. So me standing up here reading a Bible and saying this is how we're supposed to live won't lead to the transformation of our lives, right? That'll lead us to a great deal of shame of saying like, yeah, I know, and that's great how well you described that or whatever, but I still can't do it. I need something more than myself, which is where we need to the blood of Christ and his body broken to bring the transforming work of sanctification. All right, um, so our topic today is immorality. Immorality is any time that we pursue pleasure outside of God's plan. When we pursue pleasure outside of God's plan for that pleasure, that's immorality. In almost every instance in the scriptures, when the word immorality is used, it's modified by a word before it called sexual, sexual immorality, okay? And so almost every time throughout the pages of Scripture that this word is used, it's, it's referring to how we engage in the pleasures of intimacy physically with other human beings, okay? Now, there is other ways of, uh, that immorality is expressed. As a matter of fact, the original sin uh, was about this, right? So the original sin, when they took the fruit, in that was contained not just immorality, but there was all the major, uh, all the major categories of sin are summed up in the original sin. Well, there's three main categories of sin that either all sin fits into these three categories or they're a derivative from it. Um, so, uh, you know what the three categories of sin are? Anybody want to help me out with that? Lust. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. So my body wants something and I crave it. Or my eyes think that something looks appealing and I want it. Or I am elevating myself and my own way of thinking instead of the way God is communicating. So I'm not being a child in faith. I'm too big for my britches kind of thing. And you see that in the way that they fall in the garden. They saw that it was good to eat. That it looked appealing to the eye and then it would make them wise, and they wanted those things. Okay, so then all sin kind of falls into that category. The fact that it looked like it was tasty, you know, that I want that, there was a craving, and the fact that it looked good to the eyes, this has to do with lust, and it has to do with idolatry. In that is immorality, which is what we're talking about today. However, most of the time, cover to cover, when immorality is spoken of, it has to do with sexuality. And given the fact that there's many other categories we're dealing with in this series, we're really going to limit the rest of this time to dealing with uh, sexual immorality is what what we're focused on in this, okay? So anytime that there is the pursuit of physical pleasure of sex in any form or any fashion outside of God's plan, that is what sexual immorality is, okay? Through the pages of Scripture, it's very clear, God, in the beginning, designed men and women to work together in the covenant of marriage and to be together in the covenant of marriage. Any sexuality that happens outside of that covenant is a violation. That's not just a violation of law. It's a fracturing of God's design and therefore will not lead to flourishing that God has for us, but it'll lead to destruction. Okay. Then there's this other place where you get to uh, how God, there's other kind of, rules and laws about like, okay, so this isn't supposed to be with my sister or my first cousin or my daughter, those kinds of things. This isn't supposed to be with my dad. You know, there's those kinds of laws. Then there's also the laws about when the people of Israel come into the promised land and God says, don't intermarry with those people there. And the reason was very clear why they weren't supposed to intermarry with the people of that land, because they worshiped a different God. And as they worshiped a different God, this form of intimacy before God was going to be violated because this is a covenant before God. And we're breaking the first covenant, which is the covenant with God. So then this covenant here isn't going to work. You get into the New Testament and you see that same thing repeated by Paul. He says in uh, in 1 Corinthians, he says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever which means if one person has given their life over to following Jesus and another person has not given their life over to following Jesus, when they come together in the covenant of marriage and they join together, there's already a fracture in the foundation of their marriage. It's not going to work because they're pursuing different things. Marriage isn't built on whether just you and I are compatible and whether we like each other and whether we work together. It's about whether we're pursuing the same person, which is God, our first love. Anything outside of that will end up causing a fracture in the way it works. So when it comes to pornography, when it comes to prostitution, there are easy ways of saying this does not lead to the picture of us in oneness with another human being in a way that reveals the image of God. When it comes to sexuality outside of marriage, pre premarital sex or adultery or, or any of those things, they all exist outside of the plan, God's plan for sexuality. Anytime that we start down that road, what happens is, is that we begin to move down a path that will not lead to life and it will not lead to fulfillment. It will lead to depravity, to more brokenness, to emptiness in my life. That's the picture. Now, our text for this is in First Thessalonians chapter 4. So if you have your Bible with you or your phone or whatever, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, 1-8. to says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you made, Let me say that again. We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you may do so more and more. I want to stop there for a second. Well, actually, one more phrase, and then I'll stop. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. So the will of God for our lives is to be a people who are set apart, who are sanctified. Um, And what that means is... is, uh, When God creates us, he creates us. Why do we exist? Let's do this together. Why do we exist? Everybody turn this way to your right. We exist. Let's read it together. I have to say this because I realized in the first service, I said, why do we exist? It's on the wall. And I heard like three people kind of read it. And I was like, you guys are like, I'm pretty sure that most of you can read. Not all of us, but many of us can. So let's turn and look at it together and say it together. One right in the middle. This is such a cheat sheet. Cliff notes right here. We exist to reveal God's nature and to delight in his presence. So um, when God created us, he created us to reveal his nature. The sanctification process. What it means to be sanctified is to be set apart. So in a world of brokenness, God calls out his people and he pulls them out. This is why when, they, when the Israelites went into the promised land, he said, don't intermarry with those people. You're going to end up worshiping those gods. I want to make you people who are very different. I want to make you look different. I want you to reveal my image. So I'm going to keep you holy, set apart, sanctified. The sanctification process means that God's salvation is working to make me more and more into fulfilling the purpose that he has for my life, to look like him. Now there's two ways this happens. One is that He has to mature me in faith. I have to learn to depend on him and follow him more and more. So he teaches me more about him. I learn more about him and I learn to trust him. The other is he has to also identify all the places where I'm not in a place of faith and where I'm outside of his plan. And so God's constantly doing this thing where he's taking his light and he's showing me not because he's some, you know, angry God who wants me to be frustrated or upset with myself, but because he realizes I'm not inside of God's plan yet. And so he's highlighting for me He's shining his light and saying, this area could be much better if you would trust me here. And so my job when it comes to that side of things in sanctification is to confess. Confession means agreeing with God. I agree. If I trusted you with my money, then it would look like this. And I don't. So (laughs) help me out. You know, I need your help. That's confession. That's confession. The other side is, I know you're calling me to be this and to do this. I have to choose to trust you and step out in faith and do this. That's the maturing process, the sanctification process of what God's doing. And what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians Thessalonians, is he's saying, you are doing this. This is happening in your life. God is sanctifying you. And the reason I'm writing this is because I want it to happen more and more and more. More and more. There's got to be more. Like, we keep going. Life gets better. It's more full. We live in our purpose as we trust God more. And so, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he says that you abstain from sexual immorality. So, this is one of those places where he's shining the light and saying, this kind of activity in your life is not revealing the abundant life that God has for you. You're not free yet from the bondage of sin here. You're not living in in the deep faith, the abundant life. And he says that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. I want you to stop here for a second. Excuse me. And every time that we step into a a form of sexual pleasure outside of God's plan, what it's saying is that we're violating our brother. We're violating our sister. We're hurting not just ourselves, we're hurting others. And we hurt others when we step. God has this beautiful plan for how that whole thing's supposed to work. And that plan is there's a safeguard, which is called a covenant. And a covenant means that this beautiful thing that is supposed to be experienced is supposed to be experienced between these two people who lay down their lives for one another for the long haul. And inside of that, this is something experienced. When you take it outside of that, it breaks the rules that God has set up society around. See, this is like a little DNA cell that God gave in humanity. When he set up humanity, when he set up like the race of humanity, the way he did it was he started this thing called marriage. He took a man, he took a woman, and he created them together in his image. And out of that became a family. And there's these little things that, like in DNA, in your body, you get a DNA. And when a DNA cell splits and it becomes two DNA cells, that's called a fractal. And what God did was he set up a fractaling system in the way that the, that the human race would reproduce. There's these two people and they come together and when they join together, they reproduce. And eventually those ones who reproduced are supposed to go and form a connection with these other people from this other family and they're to leave mom and dad and the two are to join together and become a flesh, one flesh together and they start their own little family. And it's just this beautiful little DNA cell that reproduces, that becomes humanity. And it's all built around this institution called the family. Which is all built around this institution called marriage. Which is consummated by this thing that is called sex. Marriage does not exist for sex. At all. Marriage exists to reveal the image of God sex is only an entryway it's only a consummation it's the there's this great quote from dk chesterton listen to this quote he says sex is an instinct that produces an institution it's positive not negative it's noble it's not base it's creative not destructive because it produces the institution that institution is the family It's a small state or a commonwealth, which has hundreds of aspects once it's started that are not sexual at all. It includes worship and justice and festivity and decoration, instruction, camaraderie, repose. Sex is the gate at the house, and romantic and imaginative people naturally like looking through the gateway, but the house is very much larger than the gate. There are indeed a certain number of people who like to hang about the gate and never get any further. It's really good. It's a really good picture of what it is that God designed the human relationship for, the, the human uh, relationship of marriage for, and sex, the role of sex within it. Okay, now um, what Paul says here is he says that when we violate that, we violate our brother and sister. We've seen this, that when we step outside of that, that generally speaking, we see things deteriorate, that this family unit, gets hurt, that there's strife between people, there's anger, there's fracturing, there's distrust, people lose identity, the whole thing with parenting, the whole thing, like there's so much collateral damage that can happen in this thing, right? And we, And I just want to pause for a second, and for anyone who's like, goodness gracious, this is a heavy message, and I've had sexual immorality in my life, or I've been through a divorce, or I've been a part of adultery, or I've lusted in my heart, or I've looked at porn, or I've whatever it is, like, remember what we said last week? Conviction, godly conviction is a great thing in the sense that it highlights stuff, but that's not what this stuff's about. This stuff is about being able to take all the brokenness of society and bring it to the table and say, God, you got to heal and you got to fix. This is not about shame about creating a culture of shame or of beating ourselves up over what's going wrong. This is about identifying what the actual problem is so we know what to ask God for. And there is not one person in this room who has escaped unscathed from the, the iniquity of immorality in our culture. All of us are affected. So this isn't about, like don't, don't let the rest of this message be about you feeling bad about this one thing or something. You know, like think together with me about God's design and about what's going wrong in society, and then we come together and ask God to heal us, to heal us. Okay, that's what that's about. So with that said, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, transgress his brother in this manner. Here we go, halfway through uh, verse 6, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. There is consequences that will take effect, that will have damaging effects, and we know that, we've just named that. Now listen, verse 7, For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. That means to be set apart. Verse 8, Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So when we disregard the boundary, the guideline around sexuality, what we're disregarding, we are hurting our brother and sister, and we're hurting society, but we're disregarding God. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't just mean like, okay, God's the one who said to do it this way and I'm not doing it that way, so I'm disregarding God. What it actually means is, is I'm disregarding the role of human sexuality in relationship to God. I'm not understanding or seeing what this is actually all about. I'm not, I'm choosing to not view this thing from God's vantage point and I'm losing perspective. So when God created male and female in his image, he 's trying to reveal his nature he's trying to reveal who he is. what is it about God that is revealed through the two genders coming together? what part of God's nature is being revealed? anybody know there's this great command in the old testament in in uh, Deuteronomy it was the great command that everyone followed and it was co- and uh Israel would Put it on their forehead and they put it on their doors and they put it all over the place and it said, Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And so when God says, The two that I've made shall become one flesh, this is the mystery that's being unraveled. You remember this. This is how this works. When God made a man and a woman, he made them complementary, physically complementary. That all the different uh, parts of the anatomy. There's reasons and purpose and mystery, and they have they have all sorts of things that have to do with the family unit and what those purposes of of all those different parts are and how they work, right? And and there's there's a, there's a design in that, but much more than just the body is the way that a soul and a mind and emotions are start, supposed to work together. You know, there's like the whole like. Men are from Mars and women are from Jupiter or whatever that stuff is, you know, which when we, what is it? Did I get it wrong? Venus, whatever, whatever it is, we have this, there's a constant joke, of course, that permeates society about the difference between men and women, about the difference between the genders. Those are actually like right now, it's such a weird thing to think about those jokes when there's so much question about gender in general in our society. And all the stereotypes and everything, we don't have the stereotypes anymore because what's happening in our society is we don't have the role anymore. So then like how do the stereotypes fit and all of that stuff and all the jokes, all the all the like laughter, all of the like the lighthearted laughter around the differences between men and women are things that are eroding among us right now because we're, there, there isn't those lines. But listen, when God designed us, he designed us to be complementary to one another. Not all men are the same and not all women are the same. The bodies don't look the same. The Emotions, the personalities the souls they don't look the same but there is something that's uniquely feminine and there are things that are uniquely masculine and those things are to work together in a way that reveals the glory of God. And when those things come together, the most amazing thing is that the body, that's just the outward part of it. The deep parts of us that are supposed to mingle together and become one are our spirits and our souls and our personality. And we might say, that's crazy because the hardest part of us to fit together is how my personality or my brain works next to my spouse's. I can't get that whole thing. I don't get why guys treat me this way and girls treat me this way. I don't get that whole thing. Well, all of that has to do with the fact that there was this beautiful picture where two were one and it all worked together because they were receiving everything they needed from the Lord. But then somebody took that and crumpled that picture all up and then it, they tore a piece out of it and then you open it back up and it's a crumpled, torn picture that we think is supposed to look like God, but somehow it doesn't seem to look like him anymore. And in the midst of that, when I feel broken and torn and empty and disrespected and unloved, I search for that from the other gender very easily or from those partners who I would seek to receive love and respect and honor from. And I look for satisfaction there when it'll never bring it. And the more I look for it, the more I feel the tension of what isn't fitting. But what's not fitting isn't something wrong with the design. What's not fitting is the fact that we are not submitting to the design. And the design is that way before Adam loves Eve and way before Eve loves Adam, they love God and they need God and they trust God, and they depend on God. And the whole thing breaks when they stop listening to God. You notice then the, the first thing about Adam and Eve, it wasn't about that they had a fight and they broke their relationship. It was the fact that they didn't listen to what God said, and they didn't trust him. And once they didn't trust him, the instant result was they were embarrassed with one another, and they put on fig leaves, and they hide from one another, and they blame one another. And they were having a fight over something that wasn't even about each other. It was about their relationship with the Lord. So they lost perspective. This is why when we violate God's image, uh, God's uh, plan, we violate, um, we, we disregard him. Now, let me um, break this down a little bit um, about what, one of the ways that this has taken over in, in our minds is that when we want physical pleasure, Outside of that covenant, what we're typically doing is we are forgetting the fact that we are part of, like, our soul is who we are. Our body is not who we are. Our body is a gift from God to contain our soul. We are given a body, and that body will die. That body will be resurrected, and it'll be different, and it'll be changed. But our soul at the core, internally, our spirit, that's who we are. But every time we deal with sexual immorality, what we're pursuing in the flesh is we're pursuing some sort of connection that is outside of the understanding of the wholeness of who we are and therefore the wholeness of who we are in God. And we're, we're breaking ourselves. We're breaking who we are. We're breaking our, our, uh, who God has made us to be. This is how C.S. Lewis says that. He says, uh, the monstrosity of sex outside of marriage is that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one kind of union from all other kinds of union which were intended to go along with it and make up the total union. If you read what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 16-18, this is in the message translation, so it's a little more colloquial here, down to earth. Um, it says there's more to sex than mere skin to skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as it is a physical fact. As written in the scripture, the two shall become one. We must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-molded love for becoming one with one another. The way we reveal the glory of God is when I stand at an altar with someone, this is one of the ways that we reveal the glory of God in the covenant of marriage, is we stand at an altar before God and we say, I will lay down my life for you and I will be faithful to you and you will lay down your life for me and you will be faithful to me. And until death do us part, we engage in this covenant that resembles the covenant of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in the way that they love one another. And within that, there is pleasure, there is pain, there is the ups, there is the downs, there is all the difficulty. If in my mind, this whole thing, this whole thing, whole-like covenant is a promise so that we can get to some finished line of intimacy, then I've misunderstood intimacy. Intimacy is walking through life, laying down our lives for one another. And this resembles the covenant of God with his people, God in the Godhead. And uh, this is when we fail to walk within the covenant, we fail to know who we really are and how we're designed. All right, um, Colton, has birthday? This week, my youngest son. He's pretty pumped about his birthday, gotta tell you. We already had a a little party for him, um, but he has a party. Now, here's the thing on Tuesday, um, when he has his party, Jen has to work. He gets home from work before Jen gets home from work. I'll be up in the office, in my office, I'll be working. He'll get home and there will be this period of time when he gets off the bus, he plays with his neighbors or does whatever, and then he comes home. And then the boys are going to be hungry and they're going to want a snack. Somewhere in that house is going to be a birthday cake when he wants his snack. Colton has like the only person I've ever met in my life who has a sweet tooth like Colton is Jen. And there is just like this guy. he, He can smell it coming down the driveway, I'm sure. Like there's birthday cake somewhere around here and he knows it. And so when Colton comes in the house, there will be a temptation that will hit him, which will be if he sees that birthday cake, he's going to want it now. He's going to want a piece of it. And if he comes home and he's looking around and he's like, well, it's my birthday, you know, and that's my cake. So what happens? He is violating the covenant of family. That birthday cake was bought by his parents for a very specific purpose, to honor who he is in the family and to celebrate the life of Colton and to have a moment with a family together where we light the candles, where we sing a song, we have the whole thing around it. There's an institution of birthday cake and what it means in a family. And that whole thing that's there is designed in order to honor a child and in order to celebrate who they are and make them special inside of this family unit when we go to take the cover off that birthday cake and there's a big piece missing and there's chocolate smeared on his face, we're like, you seriously just violated the covenant, dude. Like, there's no way that that was as good and meaningful as it could have been together the way it was supposed to be. This is what happens for us in sexual immorality. Well, it's my body and it's my kind of thing here and this is what I want. It doesn't hurt anybody, but it does. It hurts the brothers and sisters who weren't able to be a part of that with you, the celebration of the birthday cake. And it does. It, it hurts the intentions of mom and dad who had a, who had a clear plan for this, and, and we're going to celebrate you, and it, and it hurts. But mostly it hurts you because this whole thing wasn't as special as it really could have been. That's sexual immorality. That's the lie of the enemy. And the lie of the enemy is that I can take this body and I can separate it from the soul. The lie is is that I can take this person, whoever I am, and I can separate it from the rest of humanity and just deal with it as if it's his own thing. It's not true. It's part of an institution. I came from a family, and I'm designed to be in a family, and if I act like I'm not, then I'm missing something. That's the iniquity. I am not my own. I am God's, and I am part of a family, whether it's a good one or a fractured one or whatever. I am still within the bounds. By being human, I am part of the DNA. And when I step outside of God's plan, I'm violating the reality. I'm not seeing who I am in the eyes of God in relationship to everyone else around me, and I'm stepping out, and I'm fracturing. I think that this body can do whatever it wants, and it won't have have effects, but it will. It will hurt society. It will hurt the family. It will hurt other people. It will fracture God's design in our world. And what's more is, is when we get accustomed to that kind of behavior, it changes the way we think in society on a whole systemic level. And what it starts to do is, it starts to say, "I live for pleasure in the moment, and that's what matters." And if I ask someone to not have pleasure, even though this is what it is that they want, I'm imposing something on them and I'm violating them because they are their own person with their own desires and they should be able to do what it is that they want to do without any perspective on what God's plan is for us and how it affects the broad family of humanity and how it affects everyone else around me when I isolate myself from others and when I isolate my body from my soul and my spirit and say, I'm going to take this body and I'm going to act like it belongs out here on its own and it can do whatever it wants. That's Colton. He didn't eat his birthday cake. Now, don't get mad at Colton. He didn't do it. He's a good kid. He's not going to eat the birthday cake that way. He wants the party, he trusts his parents. He expects it to be cool. And it is going to be cool. Now, um, I want you to read with me in uh, Romans chapter 1. Um, and this is, this is absolutely uh, an amazing understanding of how culture uh, works here from the Apostle Paul. I want you to start with me in uh, in verse, let's start in verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So this is the truth of God is there and we suppress it. We hold it away from the truth. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. If you want to know God and understand how he works, it's everywhere. It's written into the genetic code. You can see it everywhere. It's in nature. It's in how he created humanity. It's in his scriptures. It's all over the place. You can find God if you're looking. You can see him. He's there in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and in their foolish hearts were darkened. So I know that mom and dad created the birthday cake for me and I should honor that, but instead I'm going to go in my own futile thinking, forget where I came from, forget who I am, and I'm just going to engage in this activity. Okay, that's the idea here. Verse 22, this is where it really starts to hit home, okay? Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God For a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. We're told in Colossians that what sexual immorality is, is idolatry. An idol is when you take an image of something and you set it up and you begin to worship that image. That's what that is. And we're told that sexual immorality is idolatry. How is it that sexual immorality is idolatry? Right here, what it says in Romans is it says that when I worship, the created thing rather than the creator, and I set up an image that looks like mere man instead of revealing the glory of god then there 's idolatry taking place. Let me give you a picture of how this works right now in society. Anyone know what the what the greatest growing religion is in america it 's called secular humanism, and what that means is the the, the fastest growing Religion in America believes that we don't belong to anyone else or anything else, that we are are our own. And this flesh right here is what it is, and that's all there is. It starts with us, ends with us. That's what we're beginning to worship. When you walk down a grocery store aisle and you look to the right or to the left and you see a magazine and there's an airbrushed image of a guy with tore up abs or with a woman with curves this way or that way or whatever, there is some image that's made to look like a human. It's probably not a real human image. It's probably made to look like an image. And what is it that it's calling us to worship? The form of the human body. And it's telling us two things. This is what you need and this is what you want. And it's telling you this is what you should be. It's identifying you. It's saying this is your identity and this should be what you worship. This is what you should pursue and love and desire. Actually what it's saying, this is what you should crave, what you should lust after and what you should pursue, and this is how you should gauge yourself as far as who you are in society. How much do you look like that, and how much can you acquire that? That's when we move from sexual immorality into sexual idolatry. Where sex is not just something that we engage in for our pleasure, it's something that we rate ourselves and others on in society. That's idolatry. And that's what we do. We set up images that are made to look like mortal men and we worship the created thing rather than the creator. This is why that's such a big deal because the form of a man and the form of a woman and how they connect are where nature reveals to us the image of the almighty God. It was made to reveal the beauty of who he is. And when kept appropriately and held gently inside the bounds of the DNA cell that he made in the covenant of marriage, there is something beautiful that it does. It shows the character of God. And the character of God is love. No greater love has a man than this, that he lay down his life for the other. And in marriage, when we lay our lives down for one another and we break for one another and walk through life together, inside the bounds of that, we reveal the nature of God's triune love. Outside of that, we elevate the image of a human and we begin to idolize the body. And it's no wonder that, sexu- that that secular humanism becomes the reigning religion in what we believe. We've lost sight of the fact that our connection with each other was for the purpose of revealing God. Not that I would be satisfied by you and you would be satisfied by me. You know what we say to people then? What we're saying in that is we're saying, unless you are engaging in this kind of activity with a person who looks like that, and you also look like that, then you're missing out. Which is a complete and total lie of the enemy. Here's the lie. That that's going to make me happy. The truth is this. Is that God created me to exist with humanity in deep relationship That reveals him. Whether that's the covenant of me being a citizen of America, whether that's the covenant of me being a member of Parker Ford Church, whether that's the covenant of my connection with my parents and how I honor them, and whether that's the connection of a spousal relationship. You can know God way outside of sex. Sex is like this compared to the immensity of love. It's a tiny little thing inside of one covenant, honestly, and we've made it everything. What's everything is the covenant of love that can exist in all sorts of relationships that can all reveal the image and glory of God. Sure, at the corner of it, at the center of it, the most precise picture is that of marriage. But that's the starting point and it's supposed to, that's why in the church, he calls us the bride because we have our own covenant that we can experience God together. If you're single or you're divorced or you've had sexual brokenness in your life and all that, you can enjoy the pleasure of being a child of God along with other brothers and sisters and you are not missing out because of what that magazine shows. That's a lie. That's a lie. The truth is, is your father loves you. He loves us. And we together are in the covenant of a father Loving his kids and the kids obeying their parents. Listen to what this says. It's amazing as Romans goes on. And uh, we'll, this will be our last text here. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity, dishonoring their bodies because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit, to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. This is, the, this is, by the way, like the definition of iniquity. When something gets beyond just a bad behavior and, and it, it changes the way we think. Gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. Listen to these words. Each one of these words talks about how we violate covenant. I envy, I want something else. I murder, I hurt the other person. Strife between us, deceit. Maliciousness, gossips—they're gossips. I'm talking bad about someone else. Slanderers—I'm—I'm—I'm—slandering I'm uh, those in authority above me and and de- de- defacing them. I'm a haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Listen to this one—just thrown in the mix there. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree. That those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And this is where we are in society right now. We have lost our moral compass. We don't know how to answer very important questions that are in front of us. And the reason we don't know how to answer those questions is because we're not solid on the most important question, which is why do I exist? And if I don't know why I exist, then I can't answer all the other questions. Listen. Sex is not a function of lust. It's not something bad. Sex is something that belongs inside the covenant of marriage and exists as a part of love inside of a covenant. Sex is not about. Your pleasure or my pleasure, it's not about an exchange of goods. That's what idolatry is. That's what a contract is. That's what I pay at t for this thing here. That's a contract. That's what we do with our house. That's what we do if you have a lease on your car. That's, what, that's contracts there. I'll give you this, you give me this. I like the way you look, you like the way I look. I like this, you like that. That's contract. That's not what sex is about, but that's what we are defining sex as all across our world right now. And then what we're expected as Christians to do is, I got to wait for sex and not do it until it's inside of this bounds. And all that thing is is just a structure that God's putting on me that's like, oh, I got to wait. And we're, but we're not thinking appropriately about what sex actually is. Realize what sex is? It's an act of worship. Worship is when we give God what he is due, when we reveal his glory. You realize that Pegging cultures throughout all of history have thought that sex was a part of worship? And so there's like shrine prostitutes and all that stuff. But what happens is when two people lay down their lives in love for one another, they reveal the glory of God. When we want to look at society right now and point at all the places where things are messed up, and they are messed up, we need to remember that where we fail is that we are the pillar and foundation of truth as the church. And where we do not embody the truth, the truth is not seen. And what God is trying to reveal through marriage is love, sacrificial, deep, lay-down-my-life love. And before I point about the image out there being fractured of how they're doing it wrong, I better look inward and say, am I embodying in my family, in my relationship with my parents, in my relationship with my church, in my relationship with my country, in my relationship with my neighbors, in relationship with my spouse, in relationship with my kids, am I embodying the nature and the character of God? Because that is the salt of the earth, which is supposed to preserve society. And so the problem is not so much whether we're legalizing same-sex marriage out here. That is a big, big deal. That is a big, big, earth-shattering deal in culture. I promise you, because it's redefining what family is. But the reason we're there has everything to do with whether or not we are appropriately revealing the love of God in our covenants. And whether we believe that we were made for the satisfaction of one another, or whether we believe that we were made for the pleasure of God. And when we lose that, we have no right to talk beyond. And that's why Paul says this, when dealing with a homosexual situation in, this, in the second letter to the Cor- Church of Corinth, he, he says, you can't do that. You're a part of the kingdom of God. You can't be a part of that. But he says, but my job is not to judge those outside of the church. My job is to keep what's supposed to be in place in the church. And what he realizes is the pillar and foundation, the salt of the earth, if we embody the love of God in the covenants the way we 're supposed to, God can take care of society. But our problem is is we 've lost focus and we 've lost perspective is a huge problem every single one of us, every single one of us, has been affected by this thing, and what we do when we come into a place where society is what it is and where our marriages and our families, our relationships with our kids, our relationship with our church, the covenants that we exist in, when they have been kind of, when when it's really become about me and I've wanted certain things and we want to have contractual relationships, I'll continue to, to be a part of this family if this is in place or I'll respect my parents if they act this way or I'll be cool with my church as long as this is happening or I'm okay as a citizen of America if this is taking place. I can be in this marriage as long as this is happening. All of those things are not covenantal, they're contractual. And it's all based on what it is that I desire as opposed to what it is that God desires. And when I realize that I'm a broken person who really wants my desires... I don't have a way of fixing that because I realize how broken I am. And that's what this series is about. There is hope in Jesus. He has given us a body broken and a bloodshed and the power of the gospel can transform me and it can transform you. It can transform us. It can transform society. The power of God is in the shed blood of Jesus and in the resurrection of Jesus. If he can raise a body from the dead, he can change a culture. He can change my life. He can free you from porn. He can set you free from the way your marriage is all shattered. He can do all of that, but it won't happen by just working hard at it. It comes confessing to the Lord. I am not seeing myself and I am not seeing others the way you have designed us. God, change me. Change the way I think. Change what I want. Help me to delight myself in the Lord and give me the desires of my heart, the true deep desire to be a child of yours who loves to honor you, who wants to celebrate you. And that's what we yearn for. He can give it. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. We praise you. We praise you and honor you and glorify you. May you have uh, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful family growing across this earth as we come and confess with you that you are Father and that we haven't always submitted to you as that. We've often not. Please heal us as our, heal our land, heal our families, heal our churches, heal us, God, heal us, God, by the blood of the lamb. Thank you, in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Love you. Have a great week.